0: All of that work is just about so you can get more clear and be a more uh, pure channel to share love with other people. And again, that might sound kind of hippie, some people cheesy, but no, like love is, is, is really all that we're looking for. So um, that's, that's really the core of why yeah. someone would really want to do this is to experience more love ultimately.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to the One Mind Meditation Podcast. My name is Morgan Dix and this is a show about meditation, mindfulness, and health. And I'm so glad to be back with you. Today I'm sharing an interview with you that I did with my good friend Shannon O'Brien all about Vipassana meditation. And before we jump into the show, and it's a great show, I wanted to remind you that the One Mind Meditation Podcast is part of the Podcastica Podcast Network. And I encourage you to go check out some of the shows on the network. There's some great ones. You can check that out over at podcastica.com. That's podcastica.com. Okay, so back to today's show. And I'm thrilled to be back with you after a month of paternity leave. My wife gave birth what, a little over four weeks ago on April 12th. And wow. So I took a month off and just emerging from the haze of dirty diapers and sleep deprivation. And I'm totally psyched to be back with you. What an adventure. M- my wife and I are ecstatic. What a blessing. We are really, really excited. And uh, thank you so much for all your support and for sticking with us over the last month when I've been playing some of our archival episodes. So let's jump into today's show. I'm excited to share this interview with Shannon. She's a great friend of mine. She is the founder and principal advisor of Whole U LLC. She founded Whole U after six years working at Harvard and MIT, where she advised both undergraduate and graduate students. And she's the producer and host of something called Whole U TV, which inspires people to live a balanced and purposeful life. Shannon conducts assessments with Whole U clients, helping them to find clarity, confidence, and connections to pursue their life's work. So I wanted to interview Shannon because she recently returned from a 10-day Vipassana retreat. Going on a Vipassana meditation retreat, any meditation retreat, especially for 10 days or longer, when it's a silent retreat, is always an adventure. There's just no doubt about it. And so I was eager to interview Shannon so you, so my audience, could really get a transmission of what happens on retreat and what you can expect if you want to go on retreat. And if you've been on retreat... So that you can really resonate with Shannon's experience. If you're like me, and I've been on a countless 10-day silent retreats, listening to Shannon talk about the retreat really brought the experience back for me. It was fantastic. I loved hearing about it. And so this, this interview really doesn't disappoint vipassana meditation which is a buddhist form of meditation is very popular among westerners in particular and so that was another reason i wanted you to get some exposure to this mode of meditation so you're going to learn in this interview you're going to learn more about vipassana what it is and what happens when you practice it in depth it's very simple and very powerful approach to meditation. So without any further ado, enjoy this interview with Shannon O'Brien. Shannon, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Morgan. Really excited to talk to you.
1: Awesome. All right, so we are going to talk about Vipassana. And just to set the stage a little bit, you've been meditating on and off now since about 1997 and and you just returned from a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. And and I'd love to dive in both to the context and the details of the retreat, and more importantly, your actual experience of being on the silent retreat. But first, before we get into that, I'd love to, to pan back a little and set the stage a little for everyone who's listening and just ask you, how did you start meditating to begin with? What's What's your story and and what's your history with meditation and and how did you eventually end up attending this retreat?
0: Yeah, my my history with meditation, I think my first introduction was around 1997, 98 when I was living in Boulder for a year. Hmm. I had attended the University of Colorado at Boulder, my freshman year and went to a yoga class taught by this Indian man named Mahmood. And it was my first introduction to yoga and at the end of yoga, um, your listeners might be familiar with the ending is shavasana mm. or corpse pose. And I always thought, oh, how corpse pose, that sounds so morbid. <laughs> but when you actually get into a shavasana, like a state of a, of shavasana or corpse pose, it gives you an opportunity to focus and silence your mind as well. You've been working mm. your body this whole time and coming into alignment, aligning your body. And actually I've heard it said, all of yoga is just about that last portion, that last mm. shavasana, that last corpse pose. You've worked your body so that you can kind of work out the kinks so that your mind can rest. Yeah. And so that was my first introduction. And then from there, I actually ended up transferring to uh, Boston College after some time in London. But that was my maybe second introduction for to a different part of uh, Asia. Coming from a different part of Asia, I took a Chinese philosophy class. Mm. And we did little meditations in that class as well, some Tai Chi and more sort of mindfulness practices. And from there, I just became really interested and was um, dabbling in a lot of different styles. I remember I had then went on to do a master's degree in Japan. Nice. So you sampling India, China, Japan. Um, I would say certainly like Buddhist philosophy always appealed to me. I remember my brother Kevin had a book, you know, uh, on Zen, and I remember like flipping through that and was always drawn to it. Mm. But when I was in Japan, I we went on a field trip to a uh, Buddhist monastery. On the tail end of my two years in Japan, I heard about this practice called Soka Gakkai, mm. which was kind of controversial, but it's, um, you might have heard of this chanting, like Namyo ho renge kyo mm. which is basically like faith in cause and effect. And I Went to a couple sessions and chanted Namyoho renge kyo I think Tina Turner is one of the people who's well-known for practice that particular style. I have to do some fact-checking there, but it's kind of like, yeah, well-known in the, uh, like, some celebrity circles as well. But had tried, you know, chanting. My good friend Dustin uh, introduced me to this Tibetan-style mahamudra, which you meditate with your eyes open. Mm. So I took a one-week retreat with Dan Brown, who's affiliated with the Harvard Medical School. And then... I really was drawn to this particular style, which is body scanning, which you can kind of do alone. You don't need a teacher. I, I listened to this recording, and you can sort of lay on your back on the floor or sit upright or whatever. It's probably better to lay flat. But um, it's called 61 points. And if you actually Google 61 points, this uh, very hypnotic voice will walk you through different points on your body, and you and you pay attention to them, and then you let them relax. And at the end of that, your body feels so still. Mm. Um and then the final thing that I'll say like you know dabbling is something really approachable because I know your listeners might not be uh, deep intense uh, meditators but you know I I I do check into the Oprah Winfrey and Deepak Chopra 21 day, day meditations yeah. um which is a little bit more commercial or a little bit more approachable but still like super valuable and I just finished um, their last one a couple weeks ago. Nice. And so, so I think that's my my background in meditation, kind of like dabbling in all different styles.
1: Yeah, and if I could ask, like, generally, before we get to the, the your most recent Vipassana retreat, for you personally, why, why, why have you wanted to meditate over? the last 15, 20 years, like what, what's driven you? What, what have been your motivations?
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, a quest to better understand myself, Mm. you know, oneself to go within. I think that increasingly the world is getting super complex and it's very easy to get overwhelmed. And I was in actually academia for a long time. Mm-hmm. I did an undergrad, then a grad degree, then another grad degree, then worked in higher ed for seven years. And I was surrounded by that energy, yeah. that energy of 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 learning, of advancing, of growing, of evolving, of you know, publishing and all these different things that, right. that can really stress people out. And I think that this inner work was a good counterbalance to that. So uh-huh. I think that was part of the you know original appeal and quest is just to. Find ways to manage what I like to call the monkey mind. Right? I think right. all of us share this experience of a, of a crazy primate <laughs> bashing around in our heads. One day it's happy, one day it's not. One second it's happy, one day it's not. Totally. Um, and and rather than pop pills, like go to a doctor, get some um, you know medications to numb the craziness. How can we just do that ourselves? You know, in a natural way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of medications. And I think that we jump to that sometimes too soon. That's just my own personal opinion as we jump to the medications too soon when, Mm -hmm. yes, it's very difficult to, to tame the monkey in your mind. But, um, you know, it's worth, it's worth the work. It's worth the effort to try to do it naturally. That's what I've experienced. Yeah.
1: That's cool. And, uh, and I think, didn't we, were you came on a retreat when when I was part of Andrew Cohen's community. You came on a retreat there too, right?
0: Yes. Um. Again, my friend Dustin invited me to a weekend retreat and was out in Western Mass. And I think that's the first time I met you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was
1: probably almost like, what was that, 2006 or 2008?
0: Yep. Yep. Around mm. then. And I, I definitely valued that. I valued Andrew's message of, you know, evolution of mm. like the human um, experience and evolving and kind of a no nonsense approach. I really valued that experience as well. But I remember you giving me some information at the end, sort of like, come on, so what's the next step? Are you want to sign up for this next course or program or retreat? And I think oh, I, yeah. was... <laughs>
1: I was an ambassador. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I think I was sort of like, I know, I like this. And maybe it's a reflection of me, again, just dabbling or cherry-picking. I was like, I really enjoyed this. And I did go to several of his talks in the next years, but I wasn't ready to sign on the dotted line at that point. Yes,
1: good for you. So Vipassana, and again, like before we get into your actual experience of going on this retreat, Vipassana is like, it's kind of considered, for a lot of people, it's like, when in the West people think about going on a meditation retreat, a lot of people think about Vipassana, Vipassana meditation. I'm not sure everyone really knows, like, what is Vipassana meditation? Can you kind of create a bit of a, a picture for us or an understanding, maybe like, yeah, just context? What is Vipassana meditation?
0: Mm-hmm. So, to my understanding, I can only speak from my own experience, yeah. Vipassana is best known for being 10 days of silence. And whenever I tell people I'm going on a Vipassana, what's Vipassana, 10 days of silence, oh my God, I would never last one day or 10 minutes of silence. So I yeah. think it's it gotten an ex, um reputation or as infamous for the fact that it's 10 days and it's silent, no reading, no writing, no talking, no interacting in any way with other people, fellow uh, practitioners and meditators. And the reason that is in place, it's not, um, you know, no one's there with a stick and if you talk, they're going to hit you or anything like that. It's, it's just that they, I, I got the impression that it's a very, they're trying to create this tranquil, beautiful silent space for you to be with yourself Mm. and, 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 and be there as if you're there alone. Mm. So my understanding is that they do that because when you talk to other people, all these other things can come up. Ego can come up or, you know, insecurity or different things. So it will distract you from your practice. So that's the main reason that they actually keep it silent. So you can really focus on the task at hand, which is just to sit with your mind, mm. so um, they create a really nice space and environment for that. and um, a little bit more of what I understand from doing Vipassana. this was actually my second ten day retreat, and I did a, a five day retreat as well, mm. is that this is a technique apparently passed down from Buddha himself. There was many teachers of the of the time and, and many teachers since, obviously who have different takes on how to teach meditation, uh, but this particular style of vipassana has three steps, three basic steps. Yeah. Number one is morality. So essentially not harming others. There's a couple rules, especially for the time there, no intoxicants, et cetera, but essentially not harming other people or, or killing anything, including insects and so forth. Mm. The second is mind mastery, And that's achieved through control of the breath. For the first three days, we're actually only focusing on this tiny spot underneath the nose. So like using control of the breath, just being aware of your breath. And actually, Vipassana, I understand that the actual definition or um, meaning is seeing things as they really are or observing things as they really are. Mm. Not trying to change them, not trying to modulate your breath. How is your breath coming in and out? And so that that's a tool for the mind mastery is just to see how things really are.
1: So just clarification on that point. So controlling the breath could almost sound like, you know, it's almost a, I, I think I understand, but just to, to be clear. So they're not saying that you're manipulating your breath. You're paying attention to this one spot and observing the natural flow of your breath. Is, is that right?
0: Precisely. Right. So some yoga classes, for example, that I've attended, you know, breathe in for nine counts, breathe out for nine counts or something like that, regulating. And actually, whenever I get that instruction now, I I kind of bypass it because I'm actually only interested in what's kind of naturally happening. And so this is a way, and the reason why you focus on that tiny spot underneath your nostrils is to get laser focus. And and I could explain later that you do go out into the rest of your body, but that really, the, to focus on that one area, yeah, is to kind of see the sensation on that part as the breath comes in and, and goes out. And actually a lovely thought that occurred to me when I was doing that um, Mahamudra retreat uh, with Dan Brown for a week, a couple of years ago, I just, it just occurred to me that we are being breathed. Mm. We're not breathing, we're being breathed. It's mm. just amazing. It's just coming in and it's coming out and we have no, we can't dictate when it starts or when it stops, right? That's yeah. just this incredible realization. So just to be breathed and watch it come in, come out.
1: And biologically, we have something called the hypoxic drive, which when we're when we're sleeping, it powers our breath independent of our conscious mm. will. So it, it's like, I love that image of being breathed because there's some part of us we, we are built in a certain way to, to breathe. And mm. like you said, in a certain way, I'd never thought about it of being breathed, but the degree to which there's not a lot of conscious volition involved, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Take on it.
0: Yeah. I
1: like that. And, so, and just one more question, because this is super interesting. The, I, I just find it powerful that they're using the term mind, what was it, mind mastery?
0: So this is a term that was used uh, by Gowenka, who yeah. is the teacher. And he's actually on a recording. We can talk about that, but maybe I'll just jump into it. Um, this man, Goenka is um, recorded on a video. So he's actually not there. And he actually passed away in 2013. Mm. But his legacy obviously lives on. And this video, which is recorded, can be played here, can be played in the center in Italy and all over the world. So it's essentially a franchise. But um, I I believe in one of his videos, um, so you're actually listening to his voice throughout the day. Yeah. And then at night you actually see the video. So that's exciting. Cause it's kind of like movie night, you know, it's like your one thrill in this <laughs> like summer uh, camp. Yeah. 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 So it's like, and, and he has beautiful dialogues, but I'm, ama- I think that he actually used an expression, something like that mind mastery for that second uh, step. Well,
1: and, and, and the reason I love it is just cause it's like, so when mind mastery, it makes you think of like, it makes you think of Einstein it make, or it makes you <laughs> think of these like, uh, you know, super monks but there's something in the way you described it. it is very simple we're just talking about this quality of attention on this one spot and they're mm. and they're and and adhering to that and we're calling that mind mastery i think that's you know it's just something to highlight i it really stood out to me when you said it i love it
0: and so these are English terms, English interpretations, the the words that he actually used over and over again, most often, mm-hmm. I, they're probably Sanskrit or something. They were shila, morality, samadhi, what he did refer to as mind mastery, and then panya, which I can get into as well. But the samadhi part, I had actually heard about the term samadhi from, again, that Tibetan retreat that I did, which is... My understanding is that whole retreat was about getting to Samadhi, this Mm. place of like tranquility almost. For for me, that was my interpretation of my experience there. Yeah. And also my interpretation of what this is all the Pasan is all about. A word that Goenka used a lot is equanimous, having an equanimous mind,
2: Mm.
0: equanimity. Mm. And that's beautiful. Just the word kind of resonates. I love that. Um, yeah. But so shila, samadhi, and panya were the three actual words, but morality, mind mastery. And then that third step, panya, is wisdom. My understanding is is wisdom, but wisdom through mind purification. Mm-hmm. Again, when you've done the step of morality, when you've done the step of mind mastery or focus, um, that this third step was actually the most difficult I experienced is experiencing and observing sensations on your body as they're popping up and these sensations that arise
2: mm.
0: are and so i should back up a little bit 3 days of focusing on your breath as a tool yeah. to get an equanimous mind, yeah, to, to be able to, to practice that through your breath and be still and observe that you're being breathed. And this is this what's happening mm. on day four is actually the sort of introduction. It's three or four, you kind of lose track of what day it's happening. Yeah. like day three or four, they're like, okay, now this is vipassana. This is now we'll teach it to you. Now this is what's going on, and you need to sort of ask just to say out loud, yes, I want to be taught vipassana. Mm. so that it's like your volition your intention to to learn this and bring a pure heart and pure effort to it yeah and the third step is um is activated by what they call strong determination in your posture mm. and it's a game changer it's oh. like shocking i remember the first time i did the 10 day uh back in 2013 this was like i was blown away by this, the difference between, okay, three days while, you know, I'm sitting here watching my breath. This is cool. And I, you know, kind of moving around. If there's a bug, I, you know, I felt something, I'd kind of itch it or whatever, kind of move my posture. But strong determination was the game changer, game changer. Mm -hmm. And the reason being they said, okay, now Vipassana can be accessed by strong determination. And what is that? It's sitting with your posture completely upright you keep your eyes closed, you keep your arms closed, your legs closed, and you're in this posture and you do not move. Mm. And maybe that's what people think of meditators when they see it anyway, but chances are people probably shift around. But in that intentionality of, I'm not going to move no matter what. Yeah. And again, it's not a strict thing. It's a a way to access what comes next. And when you cross that threshold of agreement, yes, I won't move, you become very aware of what's happening in your body with the sensations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like the first time I couldn't even walk after this first session. And it wasn't because of the posture, so to speak. It was because of... Uh, my whole entire right leg and hip. And then I could feel the sensations down my arm. You just become hyper aware that your body has all of these sensations on it. So this third step of wisdom through purification of the mind is I'm feeling these sensations. I really, really want to move because this hurts or actually that feels really good. So I want to stay here. That's clinging and aversion. Clinging and aversion to any one sensation, and that's kind of what we need to observe and not respond to. Mm. So um, hopefully this is not sounding too complex. I can break it apart, no, but that's it's, essentially it's great. What, what the third step is all about, is not reacting to those sensations and maintaining an equanimous mind throughout.
1: And and, and I love the kind of clinging and aversion because, of course, that's the axis in a lot of ways, of Buddha's teaching, mm. fear and desire moving towards, moving away, mm-hmm. and the way you kind of beautifully described through strong intention or, or what did you call it—strong determination—the mm. total commitment to stillness and re- and and the pa- and like the really almost superhuman renunciation
2: mm.
1: involved in that, because mm-hmm. in a, in a certain way, it's a vehicle, right? It's a vehicle for hitting that perfect middle place between fear and desire aversion and
2: uh
1: yeah. it, it, its converse and i know from experience like how world changing stillness is because mm. you know mm. the the world opens up in a lot of ways you just everything when you don't move
2: mm.
1: you, everything comes in a relief like you described mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know it can be it can be very blissful can be incredibly painful and in a certain way none of it really matters because you made this commitment Mm. but then you get to like you said you get to it becomes like a a canvas or a relief a backdrop in which you get to see all of this and then of course you know your commitment is always through that entire process being tested Mm -hmm. yes i I I love the way you described it though that's it was very clear
0: well I'm glad it was clear. Again, happy to elaborate on only one thing. I think each time I've gone to this Vipassana Center, it's in Shelburne, Mass. It's in Western Massachusetts. So it's about a two and a half hour drive from Boston. Um, Each time I've gone, so the first day for 10 days, five days, now 10 days, you get a different insight. You know, you're a different Mm. person, obviously, each time you go, but you get something different from his teaching, from his words, from your own experience. Things that pop to mind, things that you can let go of, like different things occur. And just in this teaching, back to what you were saying about the strong determination and what happens and stillness, the beauty of stillness is when those three things occur, shila, samadhi, panya, Mm. when you're doing them and you're just being aware and observing things the way they really are, he was saying then he was calling it Dhamma or Dharma mm. or the universal flow or whatever it is that makes a flower bloom or the sun come up and down. Like whatever is making or, or is breathing us, whatever those, that force is, yeah. you just sit back and watch that, mm. you know, and, and, and this is what's hard in our modern society. Again back to academia, but I need to do this. I need to go to this next step, this next rung on the ladder, and you're literally clinging to the next rung, climbing. Yeah. Where are you climbing? <laughs> Where is there to get? Yeah. And so um what really struck me this time is like, okay, wow, there's this beautiful law of nature mm. that's taking place. And if I'm not aware of it or if I'm trying to fight it or I have an aversion to it, you know, I want it to be a different way, but this is actually happening and sort of like, um, grace, you know, grace in observing what nature is bringing.
1: Mm. And did you find that your are how, how did that experience of strong determination or stillness for you kind mm-hmm. of evolve through the retreat? Did you, did you find, cause I know for me, I've I, it's almost like entering into a different, well, it is like entering into a different consciousness with different values, and <laughs> so, something else becomes much more important but in my <laughs> experience when, and you were starting to describe that, it felt like, but I'm curious if you could just speak to how the that experience of stillness and strong determination, how, how did that evolve for you through the experience or, or what was your experience of that to the retreat?
0: Mm. I think that having been there before, I was thinking, Oh yeah, I know what's going to happen. Mm. You know, um, you wait for three days. I don't want to just try on determination yet. Cause I know it hurts. I'm going to just wait, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's good. I mean, you should follow, even if you're, this is beginner's mind too. Like if you're like, Oh, I've already been there, you know, go through the steps, go through the motions. um, you know, was paying attention to my breath. And then it happened again, the moment, the strong determination, like, whoa, look at all those feelings Mm. and, um, or those sensations. And, uh, it was difficult because in, in, we are so used to wanting to get somewhere and getting some result like, oh, meditation is about relaxation. Meditation is about, um, you know, seeing colors or, or having a visualization or, so actually Goenka's is very, um, you know, clear that this is not about seeing colors or visualizing something or coming up, you know, imagining a God or goddess or saying a word or any repetition. It's just observing what, you know, the reality. Mm. And so that's, what's so appealing about this, even though it is, obviously not, you know, walk in the park. It's not a picnic, but that's what I really like about this one practice. This is the same exact experience that you will experience. That's, you know, someone in Azerbaijan will experience no matter, you know, it's Mm. every human being is going to experience this. And so you can't really dictate what colors you're going to see, or if you're using one word and I, and I have a different interpretation of that word and I'm using it. So it's, this is a technique that is just available to everybody. And it, and the same thing uh, occurs with everybody. So to answer your question, just getting back to like, what was my experience was like, there were moments where I'm like, wow, everybody's experiencing this, Yeah, you know, and getting in this stillness is just, this is just what it is to be human. This is what it is to manage my experience of being a human. And um, the negative and and these body sensations that I'm feeling, this, oh, this is a light, effervescent feeling. Oh, this is a really solid, painful situation happening right here. Um, That that happens in life. Those are representations of the things that you cling to. Oh, I really want that donut. I want that whole box of donuts. Or I really don't want this. I don't want to get fired or i don't want to get you know break up with somebody or be rejected you know so i think that that when you don't respond to those sensations yes you translate it and say okay i'm not going to respond in a negative way about what life brings me
1: yeah and did you find like because in a certain way you just don't respond to anything right you're just you're, in a certain way, you're just not moving. You're just, it's <laughs> yeah. just happening and you're not moving. Yes. And I, yeah. I, and, and that's kind of, you know, you're conveying that. And I wondered like, as the retreat, cause I, that was partly what I was wondering, like when in my experience of this, that often that can almost have a momentum that in a certain way, that sense of like, It's almost like you're standing on a deeper ground, that renunciate ground, which is just that like, well, I don't really care, you know, about Mm. this is coming out. No, no, this is, this feels great. This feels bad.
0: Yes. Yep. So when I I think I'm getting a sense of what you're alluding to is like, when I, went into this retreat. I mean, I have some things going on in my life. Oh, this person did this to me or that to me. And you're kind of hung up and clinging on these stories. Oh yeah. You know, I want to get some clarity around a, this. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, and you're replaying the scenario in your mind, I'm going to say this or yeah. you know, or whatever it might be. And then over the course of 10 days, you have a lot of time to kind of, it weekends the, yes. the attachment to that story weakens yes. you know you don't ride that bus all the way to the end it's yeah. kind of like you know you you're because you're in this stillness and then the idea the same exact idea because it's like um, a ticker tape or just like again a monkey coming in and like bashing its symbols in your face you know like it's stronger stronger but then it gets weaker weaker and then when it comes in again to say hey pay attention to me it's like oh it's actually a fantasy yes. that's actually not happening right yes. now. And I'm really just here doing my thing. And so it, for me, the experience was, it was like this, um, blending. I, that's just the word. It kind of just blend. It just weakened and blended yes. and then yes. evaporated. Yes. And it was like, Oh, it's just doesn't matter. And I really don't care.
2: Awesome.
1: That was definitely, that was definitely what I was wondering. that's, huh. I think that is one of the most beautiful fruits of being on retreat that moment where you, what you just said, I really don't care.
0: <laughs> but I should um, clarify. It's not a, I don't care. I'm detached. I'm going to go live in a cave on my own. Right. Because mm-hmm. then I'm a guaranteed to not experience any pain. Like was it Russell Simmons or someone, he's a big meditator. Um, I think he chants with, um, with words or repeats words, but He's yeah. sort of like essentially the less beep you hang out with, the less, you know, people who are a pain in the neck you hang out with, the yeah. less drama you experience. It's a guaranteed, right? But yeah. so it's not like I don't care and I'm going to go be alone for the rest of my life. I don't care because people will be the way they are because nature's doing its thing, you know? Yeah. I, it's not like I don't, I'm, in, I'm doing my best people are doing their best and just, you know what, trying to let go of attachment to any one outcome.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's beautifully said. I, I like that because I think that can, that what you just said in terms of letting go of any particular outcome for me really just hits the mark. Cause so much mm. of it that I don't care really just has to do only and completely with my relationship to X, Y, or Z thing Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. am being neurotic about, (laughs) you know, it really doesn't have to do with the thing itself at all. I feel like that's, I always learn that lesson again and again. It's not about the person or the object that's vexing me. Mm. It's only ever about my relationship to those things. And I, I feel like that's part of what you're conveying and part of what's so precious about this kind of time is that my relationship gets highlighted and I I, I get the opportunity to, sh- to just let go. Mm.
0: Yeah. And the silence that you experience, because the reason you don't have your phone or any books or you're mm. chatting, because those are such great distractions. Uh. They're the equivalent of Moving your body when you feel the sensations, right? Yeah. I'm really lonely. I'm gonna go get a box of donuts and um watch TV <laughs> for the next five hours. Yeah, donuts. You know, I'm nice. And lose myself. <laughs> yeah, back to the donuts. I love <laughs> me some donuts. Nice. Um, but, you know, so it's yeah. distraction. It's distracting yeah. from reality and what's yeah. really happening. Um, I had a thought. I just lost it.
1: Well, I really. I love this whole thread because, well, for one thing, it just brings it brings me hearing you talk about it. It just it brings me back there for mm-hmm. one thing, and reminds me again how this is why I meditate. It's to it's to let go. It's to mm. let these things come into relief, and in the end let my relationship to these things just let, let my kind of fist in a certain way unclench a little
2: Mm. Mm. and,
1: and, and, and and retreat, Mm. you know, I, I really, I get to open my palm all the way and let everything slip out and just be me without any of it. And then sink into that stillness. And I get that transmission like very powerfully in, how you're talking about the retreat and why well, anyway, it just, it just, it's been years since I've been on retreat. So it, it really brings me back to it. And I, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great to hear you talk about it.
0: Yeah. So I think I remember what I was going to say. Yes. When you go on retreat, there's no distractions. There's no telephone. There's no te- television. There's mm. nothing taking you away from what really is. So yeah. when you're there, you get to, really see how crazy you are, how fast that monkey is dancing around in your head. Like for me, um, I was observing how paranoid I am. Mm. Paranoia is a number one is not a number one, but a very huge, um, psychosis or, or mind pattern Mm. for me. And so Mm. maybe, People have different patterns. And actually, Goenka sort of alluded to like, you could have, and he called it sankaras.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I want to go into that a little bit because that's kind of like what it is, right? The, those yeah. body sensations yeah. are my understanding is that they're like a buildup of. Things that you've been clinging to over the years, or things that you've had aversion to over the years, those are actually stored up in your body. So yes. when you're not responding, you let them go. Yes. And so I love what I heard this time, which I did in the past, is he's saying those sankharas, those um, are who are stored up with you. Like you might have lots of different things that you kind of like cling to and avert all o- like again and again and again. But pretty much at the end of your lifetime, there's probably going to be two that are like the deepest because mm. you could cut into like the sandy beach and it would wash away, you know, so you keep cutting in, but it kind of washes away. It's not as strong, but there's this one that's kind of chiseled in rock. And at the end of your lifetime, you might have these two that are really, really deep. Mm. And he claims if you believe in past lives, but he, he obviously does, um, at the end of this life, those two deepest ones, whatever your personality is still holding on to and can't let go, to use your clenched fist metaphor, your next life will be, you will have those two things. You will start out your life with those two sankaras, Mm -hmm. like kicking it off until you're able to manage them and soften them and weaken them. But for me, a sankara is this paranoia. I swear, I was you know, we all daydream and a little thing would occur to me and we're just walking along, all of a sudden I'm falling off a cliff (laughs) or uh, someone's throwing a Molotov cocktail into my house. You know, like it was was crazy. Like, and I don't know if I just watched too many horror movies or, or what, but it was really shocking to kind of observe like, where's that even coming from? It doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. So, um, so that was one of the fascinating parts of this retreat is like all of those cr- you know crazy thoughts are probably being stuffed down we stuff them down by yes. watching TV and all this other stuff but they're still lingering behind there so no no wonder people are not wanting to sit still yeah. because they'll think they're crazy. Yeah.
1: Totally. I mean <laughs> yeah. that that is really fantastic the whole Sankara Sankara
0: I think that's how you he was saying it, Sankara. Yeah.
1: And so how I, like, you know, a parallel experience for me was like when I was on one of these 10-day silent retreats and, well, number one, it was like, that was a brilliant description and it's so important to share this with everyone because my experience is like we, every one of us has these and that's obviously what Goenkaji was pointing to mm. and that, well, and so retreat is one of these rare opportunities that you're, you know, this is what you're saying. It's a very rare opportunity to see these things and mm-hmm. to actually have the experience of letting go. If you continue to let go, my experience is like you can, you know, it's not that you confront these things, but you can act. They become transparent to you in a way that in your daily life, you can't, you're so in them. They're so deep. You just don't get to see them. Mm. And because the, they're like almost part of your self-sense, mm. you know, for me, I know on retreat, having had some of these experiences where the Sankaras show themselves and, and just kind of continuing to let go through them and, mm. and just until at a certain point, as you described earlier, they almost that closeness just start, they start to resolve
2: mm. and, and
1: then dissolve Mm -hmm. into just an, an object instead of the main object. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and and, cause for me, it's like, okay, up until that point, it's just like there's sunglasses that you're wearing and you see everything through them. Mm. And then at certain points like you take the sunglasses off and you're like, Oh my God, I've just had these on the whole time. And they, they that shaded everything I saw, Mm. everything I, I, how I think, how I see, how my preferences, my desires all at least for me the the experience is sometimes on my whole self sense would be contracted around these things and I'd get to in a moment see them and experience that release from the contraction you know and and Mm. usually at the heart of it was some coming back to the very beginning some strong fear or some very strong, like desire or lust, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. seeing, see, getting a, a moment to see that in relief, mm. and, and uh, it just seems that you know we have this life to be able to excavate these things and and just see clearly.
0: Mm. Yes, excavation is a really. Um, appropriate word because mm. that's what it kind of felt like this is like dig digging up you're actually not doing it cuz they're sort of popping up on their own yes. but it's like something is being unearthed. Yeah. And again just back to not reacting, just not reacting. Yeah. Um because that's why any mess in the world is probably a a result of a reaction, you know, like yes. a, a careless reaction. So to tame that is a good thing to practice.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we kind of went at all of this a little bit like backwards because I was originally going to ask you like about some of the structure, of the retreat and whatnot, but we just went right for the nougat. We went right to the center <laughs> of the candy bar here, yeah. which in a certain way is like I'm, I'm a lot happier about because just for everyone listening, this is, I couldn't, hope to convey something more direct than this about what can happen on retreat. And and I just feel like, Shannon, it's really fantastic to have you sharing this sort of essence with us, with everybody. And uh, I had originally thought I would ask you, and like we talked about a little bit more about the structure and, and whatnot, but this I think is just, this is the heart of it,
0: yeah, I could yeah. I could just briefly describe Please. because um, yeah sure. you know, we did we got to the nougat to the gooey center right but then there's this wrapper and people don't really even want to go there because talk about of the, the wrapper yeah what it's cased in yeah um so obviously the biggest turnoff is the ten days the second biggest turnoff probably uh, what I found to be the most challenging thing was the rigid schedule. Mm. And it starts with a morning bell at 4 a.m. Mm. I'm an insomniac and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sleep till noon if given the chance. So waking up <laughs> at 4 is not really always, a, you know, what I would opt for. Yeah. But so waking up at 4 from 4.30 to 6.30, you meditate on your own from 6.30 to 8, there's breakfast and relaxation, from Mm. 8 to 9, group meditation, 9.30 to 11, meditate on your own again, 11 is lunch, and on and on. And then so there's three group meditations throughout the day that you're all in the hall together. But other than that, you're sort of shuffling back and forth from the cafeteria for breakfast and lunch. And then for dinner it's fruit and tea there's actually they want to keep it light so that you're really focused and almost maintain this sort of hunger and attention and focus nice. yeah but um for me again that was the most challenging part is just this again it's breaking your ego it's like oh gosh i'm putting on my shoes i'm putting on my slippers i'm going in i'm walking around and like they want to break the patterns that you're used to yeah and so it's really not a picnic or a walk in the park but it's 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 good to to it achieves a uh, discipline yeah. because we can get lazy and sloppy. So it definitely disciplines you. Yeah. So that was kind of the hardest thing. And then just logistically, I mentioned that Goenka is recorded on these videos and they play his voice throughout the day. And also it, at um, night they play this dialogue and the dialogues, I think they're available on YouTube. If you wanted to look them up and see like Goenka daily discourse, I think it's called. Mm. Um, so day one, day two, you can watch them, but Great. it's, You know, when you resonate with what someone's saying and it just sounds like the truth and he's very engaging, he's funny, he's sweet. It's nice to hear that as sort of like a summary of the day. Mm. And then throughout the day, you're listening to these recordings when you're in those group sits in the hall, in the main hall. And he, you hear this chanting. So he's chanting. And he says that the chanting is to create an environment of love and compassion. Hmm. To be honest, I found it quite distracting and aggravating. Interesting. <laughs> but maybe that's my aversion. You know, um, it, I, had, yeah. I texted my very good friend Ahmed, who's actually the one who, um, he's done several, several, like many, many, many Vipassana retreats. And yeah. was the one who originally encouraged me to go. He, um, I texted him right after and said, you know what, I think I just developed hundreds of new sankaras because of my aversion to Golangas chanting, <Nice. laughs> sitting in his practice. But, uh, but actually, that was a thing to be like, okay, there's chanting occurring in the back, and I'm focusing on something. Yeah. So I think that the retreat is obviously very challenging, you know, not only from your firsthand experience, you know, experiencing these sensations and this pain uh, in your body. And people might have a different experience. They might not experience any pain, but uh, it's pretty much comes with the territory of like, that's what's latent and to figure out. So it's going to be challenging, Yeah, but I think that it's worth it, you know, and why is it worth it? Because in that stillness, as we're talking about, yes, you can kind of connect to the law of nature and the way that things are supposed to flow. And I also found from my personal experience that I had more clarity. And then with a clear mind, some creative ideas were just popping in Mm -hmm. like popcorn, you know? And Mm -hmm. actually my first retreat is when I, um, got the inclination or the idea to start a YouTube channel called whole UTV. It kind of just uh, occurred to me and it was a creative project that I've really enjoyed doing. And, um, so maybe I would have had that idea if I was sitting at home, but it happened on retreat. And I think that when you have a clear mind, I think creative thoughts can come to you or, um, ideas of like someone you haven't been in touch with. Uh, It's happened to me where I'm, I've thought about someone and then when I, you know, get home after the 10 days, someone's like, Hey, I was just thinking about you the other day. I was like, Oh, well I was thinking about you in my retreat. You know, you, you get experiences like that. And, um, I don't think that people should necessarily go, go in with an open mind, like with anything, Yeah. but shouldn't be expecting any one particular result, uh, mentally, emotionally, or physically. Um, one other thing that I'll say about a uh, an outcome or something that occurred to me on my first retreat, I think it was, um, I was going to sleep at night and, you know, you're still feeling the sensations on your body. You're still in this zone because you've been practicing for so long. And mm. Going to sleep, and I just just had a thought that occurred to me about my mother, and how much I love my mom. And all of a sudden, again, like this feeling of of warmth in from coming from the center of my heart, Mm. and kind of just overcame my whole body. Like I was engulfed in in a feeling a physical sensation of love it was wow. <laughs> i sound like a hippie who's tripping on something really like hallucinogenic there but it was completely yeah. the, the the shocking part was that it was completely free now that's not a guarantee it didn't happen on my second or third retreat but i just remember being like wow that was a really incredible experience i'm not gonna overanalyze it or try to interpret what it was but it was just like a very it was a very unique feeling that i think was accessed by by the experience of being on that retreat
1: yes Wow. It obviously, you remember it very clearly, so it was obviously Mm -hmm. a big impact.
0: Yeah, it was very vivid.
1: So you also, I just want to kind of transition also as we're wrapping up the interview, I do want to ask you a little bit about how would you say that this retreat or also just the retreats in general have affected your professional life, your work with Whole You, and maybe you could just say a little bit about Whole You to people to give them a sense of what you do, what your business is. But then I'm I'm curious how you see the the relationship between these retreats and the work you do. Cause I, I do understand that there is a very direct relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So not only like one of the benefits, as I said, was having a creative idea, you know, my, my mind was free to have creative Mm -hmm. thoughts that might apply to my business, but more specifically, you know, maybe back up to describe what I do and how it's so, so relevant. Yeah after I was working at MIT for a couple of years and left in 2013 to run a consultancy full time Mm. and it's called whole you and I call it a holistic development agency Mm. and I haven't seen anything like it. So it's been actually quite hard. Startups are hard enough as it is, but with kind of a nebulous meaning and mission behind it and it, and I don't see a lot of models to replicate But it's essentially supporting people and living a balanced, purposeful life. Mm. And there are three main areas that I focus on with individuals and groups. Number one is wellness as a baseline, Mm -hmm. number two is career. And number three is service. Mm. So wellness, career, and service. These are the three like core components in our life. And wellness is the baseline because it's the most important thing. And it's wellness of mind, body, and spirit. And mind is just so crucial because when you're well in your mind – it will affect your career. It will affect your service to society. It will, put, it will affect your, your body wellness. It will affect every element of your life when you get your head straight, mm. when you get your priorities in alignment. And so, so with Whole UTV, one of the first episodes that I wanted to do was with you. And Yay. I hope you, you link to that video because it was so important, um, not only because I respect you and know that you're so well-versed in this topic but wanted to share with viewers and say, look, this is the first topic we're going to discuss because it is the most important. And um, we've gone on to discuss other topics, but wellness of mind, I would say is, is, is the most important. And people don't always know that it really affects your professional life. If you're Mm -hmm. kind of all garbled up and you have that monkey mind and it's not tame and you're all reactive, you're probably going to, you know um misinterpret what your colleague says or you know get paranoid about your boss or snap at your you know assistant or something like that and yeah. um and so to bring mindfulness to work is is essential people come to me often when they're in career transition and looking for new jobs and you know I always bring in this mindfulness piece and this connection to yourself mm. so the reason why this retreat ties in so well as well is because for me I I need to keep re- um connecting to myself yeah and saying who am i and what am i really talking about and offering because you when you read books and you watch you go on retreats and you you know i've been to tony robbins and um done landmark form you're kind of like okay i've, I've done all these things because i want to develop and share these resources with other people but what what parts do i really resonate with i don't want to just repeat other people's things what are really true to me yeah so, I think that that brings um a level of authenticity mm. with what I share with my clients, mm. and um that authenticity and pureness of intention is really aided by meditation and mindfulness, yeah, so it's really important for me to to continue some type of practice and check into these retreats and once in a while um to be my own first client and yeah. to walk the
1: talk I love that, and so is it possible like for people do you coach individuals do you work directly with individuals or, or companies and and also like i'm just thinking about for our listeners if someone was interested in connecting with you is that can you say a little bit more about that how does that work do you work one-on-one in groups how does, sure. how does that yeah, work i
0: have uh, three core offerings one is one-on-one advising One is small uh, group workshops, which could take place in in a company. And then the third is educational media, Uh, so the YouTube channel primarily, even though I'm working on an online course as well. But Mm -hmm. uh, YouTube channel is free, and people can kind of check in and watch the videos and just get a sense of... Um, you know my personality, but also the content, and see if they 're interested. Workshops are a little bit more approachable if you wanted to bring it into your company. I work um in person around Boston. I also can travel and then the one on one advising happens with individuals. I worked with men and women from age eighteen to their late sixties mm-hmm. and college student wanting to transfer to California versus, um, a, a man who wants to be a drone pilot and leave his job as a, um, you know, working in the courthouse, nice. you know? So yeah, like it's such a diversity of what people want to do. But I, I, my mission is to really help people pursue their life's work Yeah, and do something that totally lights them up and find that sweet spot of like, what am I great at and what do I love to do and how can I, be of service to the world, but also be fulfilled, you know, yeah. because I do believe it's possible. And I want to be um, a living testament of that, uh, pursuing what I believe I'm great at and what I love to do. And um, yeah, people can contact me for any one of those things. My website is uh, wholeu.info. So spelled with a W-H-O-L-E. And then the U, just the letter U.info.
1: Nice, and I will link up to both your website and the YouTube channel in the show notes for, for this episode. i also include that interview that we did together, which was awesome. And Yeah, it was fun. I, yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed that. And we talked about some other resources during the show. You had mentioned these videos of Goenka, so I will link to those. I will also link to some of the... Um, materials that you had mentioned earlier. I can't remember now, but we'll we'll uh we'll provide links to all of that, everybody. And Shannon Maybe
0: it would be good to link to the schedule for vipassana and then also maybe some terms. So like with Sankara and um Sheila Samadhi Panya. Um one thing I didn't mention I'd be like remiss to not mention it is that all of this um this practice is not just about sitting there and watching pain. The the final step on the final day was about what is called metta, and like meditation Mm -hmm. on love. And so all of this is just about projecting and sharing your love and compassion for all beings. And so that's really, really deep. And all of that work is just about so you can get more clear and be a more uh, pure channel to share love with other people. And again, that might sound kind of hippie some people cheesy but no like love is 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 really all that we're looking for so um that's That's, really the core of why someone would really want to do this is to experience more love ultimately
1: awesome doesn't sound hippie or cheesy to me but i'm I'm, I'm, I'm biased biased. we're in
0: the same choir
1: (laughs) exactly la 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 yeah well Again, Shannon, thank you so much. This has really been delightful, and I love your passion for this work. And thank you so much for thank joining us. Thank you, Morgan.
0: Us. Thanks, I really appreciate it.
1: Awesome. So I hope you enjoyed my interview with Shannon. If you want to follow up with Shannon directly to reach out to her, I've included a bunch of links in the show notes where you can contact her directly. You can check out her website, Whole You. Some of the videos on the site Whole UTV. And I've also included in the show notes for this episode the video where Shannon interviews me for Whole UTV. You can check that out over at aboutmeditation.com forward slash podcast and look for episode 64. So while you're over there, don't forget to pick up the free guided meditations that we offer, as well as a three-part meditation seminar, you can pick that up over at aboutmeditation.com. And also, if you like the show, if you're a regular fan, consider leaving me a rating and a review. That is by far the best way you can help other meditators discover the show. You can do that over on iTunes. And the quickest way to get there is just go to aboutmeditation.com forward slash iTunes and that'll take you where you need to go. So thank you so much. And thank you for joining the show today and and, uh, hanging in there while we were on vacation, quote unquote, paternity leave. And today I wanna end with a quote from, yes, you guessed it, Goenkaji, one of the biggest advocates for Vipassana. And here's his quote. If there is no peace in the minds of individuals, how can there be peace in the world? Make peace in your own mind first. If there's no peace in the mind of individuals, how can there be peace in the world? Make peace in your own mind first. (music)